This is And the Oscar Doesn't Go To. I'm Sam Meltzer, and on this podcast, a guest and myself will be discussing the films that received Best Picture nominations, yet not only failed to win that award, but didn't take home any trophies on Oscar night. Today, I will be joined by Will Steele. He is a master in the Academy Awards and is also a massive fan of Diane Keaton and Paddington Bear. Will, I'm very excited to chat with you. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Sam. Yeah, no, um, those are, what an introduction. I mean, yeah, Diane Keaton, Paddington Bear, Secrets and Lies. Here we go. Here are my top three specialisms. <laughs> yeah, and I also want to say you're like the first person that I saw complete all the Academy nom- Award nominations for performances. Like I had, like this, that's always something that I was interested in doing. But like, I, I, you're the first person that I saw actually finish them. And I don't know, like that's a big inspiration and like a real push because that's my goal. Um, it's funny that we we set that goal for ourselves, like independently of each other, because it is really pointless. And all I mean, it's not really pointless because <laughs> it's what what we're passionate about. But like, to what end? What what will we get out of this? I mean, arguably something, but actually, it is impossible to watch every Oscar nominated performances because one of them is missing. So. Yeah, we, I, we, I got as close as you could, and one day you'll get there as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to finish within the next two years, because I started two years ago, one and a half, two years ago, and I'm like 55%, 56% now. So I hope, okay. I can, yeah, I hope I can finish them. But it's, it's one of those big, big process. To it's a big, it is, it is. And it's one of those things where, like you say, you saying 50%, I see the rate you watch films and oscar nominated performances and i'm like no you must be nearly done come on like and i've gone through that and i think it's because i'm I'm watching all the ones i I like i'm like selective like oh that one looks good so i can pick that but there's gonna be a point where i'm there are all these movies that just i don't want to watch and i'm yeah (laughs) yeah you have to eat your vegetables at the end of the day and you have to go into the 1930s and watch like when they didn't care about how many people they nominated and like best actress and you they all just kind of blur into one and the ones that you do remember are the special ones you know at that point but yeah just savor it go through the process you end up taking on a viewing a film which is like what does this body celebrate and what is a nomination worthy performance i i botched that line but you know and then it will help you predict them in the future because you can look at every single one that's been nominated and calculate it well today we will be discussing mike lee's secrets and lies which was released in 1996 and got five nominations so what interests you in discussing secrets and lies well i'm very glad that you asked me to do this episode because I feel like it was inspired by me discussing Brenda Blevin before. <laughs> but Mike Lee is maybe my favourite living English, British director, because um, I had maybe reserved best living director for Scorsese or Lynch, just because I'd be, oh, I'm, you know. I'm an Almodovar person. Oh, oh that's a good take. I like that, because that's, that's the thing. I fall into the cliche, but if I was trying to be... Um, you know, a bit different, but also probably be honest, it's Mike Lee. I haven't seen maybe half of Mike Lee's filmography. He's made like a lot of films, a lot of plays, but I, of the films I've seen of his, they every single time astound me. I love his process and he is, it's difficult because he's not exactly like a screenwriter. 
even though he's been nominated five times for, for best screenplay. Like, that's not what his films are about. They're about the process and about allowing the actors to improvise. So I think as a sort of head of these films, Mike Lee, um, he is, I don't know, he's an interesting auteur because he is a director, but he's quite minimalist and he's not exactly a screenwriter because he is so hands-off. So he is a curator in a way. And that's why I think this film is so good because it's maybe his best question mark yeah i i used to swap between this and happy go lucky because they're both just amazing but with with rewatches i think this is my favorite it's just so gripping emotionally i love stories where it's just a group of a small amount of characters but it focuses on them Mm -hmm. so intimately and this is exactly what that is um yeah I think for me, Happy Go Lucky is undoubtedly my favourite, but I can see why this is his most like enduring. It hit at the right time. It's so successful. And it is, it focuses on more characters in a sort of interlinked way in Secrets and Lies than Happy Go Lucky, which is, it's kind of a magic trick, this film, because it's so deceptively simple and straightforward, but it's so, so, so good that you maybe a lulled into thinking this is really easy what he's doing but it's incredibly yeah masterful really i just can't imagine having a movie without a script and then having to edit that like mm. down to a story like that seems painful but it's it seems to be worth it considering how yeah. the, the outcome of it yeah <laughs> so do you want to just hop right into the, the plot yeah yeah do you, let me know if you want me to outline it or yourself like uh, I I'd maybe struggle a little bit maybe not but I could rise to the challenge well I'll just I'll just kick it off well oh, absolutely we don't start off with with Cynthia Purley um but but we do we do start off well we we technically do start off with Marianne John Baptiste as Hortense Cumberbatch mm-hmm. um at the, it's just the opening titles over the funeral um mm-hmm. and I always get this confused was it her mom that just died or her dad that just died because I don't know if it matters really, but like we at this point, both of her parents are dead. And yeah, I, I think it's her mom. I think it's her mom. Yeah. And the, the opening scenes are on the funeral that, and then it cuts to not not either of the women. It cuts to uh, Timothy Spall as Maureen, mm-hmm. who is Brenda Bluth and Cynthia's brother. And mm-hmm. he runs a photography, a successful photography business and him and his wife, who's played by, what's her name, Phyllis Logan? Phyllis Logan, yeah. Yeah, and they have not seen their niece, who's, sorry, I'm, I'm not good at explaining family dynamics, who's Cynthia's daughter, and mm-hmm. they haven't seen her in a while, and they have a picture of her, and her birthday's coming up, and they're like, oh, we should, we should go see her for her birthday, and then it cuts to um, Brenda Blethen as Cynthia Purley, and she and her daughter she, she's like a factory worker and, and her daughter is also works in a similar reign where she cleans um, and they're kind of poor and emotionally torn and, and confused and there's just this sad energy going on and hmm. Roxanne is her daughter's name and Roxanne is kind of goes out with boys all the time and she's and Brenda Blethyn's kind of distressed about all of this and is lonely all the time because she doesn't really go out and she just kind of works and doesn't really do anything. And then we cut to Marianne Jean-Baptiste as the eye doctor, Hortense. Mm-hmm. And she, well, she's very successful in her, her business and she 
sort of is torn up about the fact that both of her parents are dead now and she wants to know who her biological mother is since her parents who are now dead were adopted her um mm -hmm. so this is kind of just the first 20 minutes of the movie just the whole setup and you do have scenes of the photography business you have this great montage of all these people who mm -hmm. he takes pictures of um and animals that he takes pictures of um and, and just flipping between these three stories uh so what do you think of this initial setup like before um, the first move is made by Hortense. What, what do you think of these opening 20 minutes or so? I think it's incredibly effective. I mean, a, a sort of well-known structure for films is going in freeze, whether you're going by act, three acts, or having these split. I don't know why this just came to my mind, but The Force Awakens, which obviously is very reverential to other films. Yes, um, The Force Awakens is the spiritual sequel. The most similar film to see. Yeah. <laughs> But how it focuses on three different leads, like it's Ray, it's um, Kylo Ren and um, John Boyega's character, whose name escapes me now. But how those are the three central ideas explored through three different characters. It's just really, really effective. And I think the beautiful thing about um, Secrets and Lies is from the start, you just understand their situations without a lot uh, being explained to you. I think the beauty of this film and why it is so effective is the art of implication. This was something that I came to when I watched it for a third time. I was like, there's so much implicit in the dialogue that they kind of just go right up to the edge of saying and then never say it as you would in a family situation where you're quite vulnerable and emotional and you end up having to fill in the gaps. And I think with those introductions, they're just the same. Like you can tell that um, Hortense, uh, played by... Um, Gosh, I always get her name mixed up in the wrong order. Marianne Jean-Baptiste? Yes, Marianne Jean-Baptiste. Yeah. I love that name. That's it's... like, there are names of like the Oscar-nominated performances that are just the best. My other favorite, and we can, I'll stop after this. No, 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 no. Is Geneviève Boujold. And I'm sure that's not how you mm. pronounce it, but I love saying it like that because it's so fun. No, no. <laughs> I think you got it right. You got to wonder like the... um which this comes back to a Mike Lee thing, but like the people who announce the Oscar nominations on the morning of, you have to have your pronunciation bang on oh. for everyone. Because yeah. of course it came in 2014, Dick Poop, who, oh you know, gosh. shot this film. Oh, um, and, and Snoop Dogg's recent pronunciation at the Golden Globes nominations. He could not. Oh, oh I dodged God. the Globes like a bullet. Like, but, but he, so he announced the nominations and he just couldn't pronounce anyone. Like not just like one person, like, no one's name he pronounced correctly. Zero. Mm. I feel like that's half the charm. If you play off that you're an idiot who can't, I'm not saying that he think he plays himself off as an idiot, but you know, it's like very relaxed. Whereas when it's um, uh, what, what was her name? Cheryl Isaac Boone was that her name? The person who used to be head of the academy, saying dick poop. That was just all timer um flub. Anyway, but, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry, I got distracted there. But yeah, no, I think it's incredibly effective. And you really feel for these characters um, quite, I think it's the performers and it's the, the the script, it's the process they've come to it, but you really feel their vulnerability and how like lovely they are. Like you feel how lovely Hortense is, how kind, because her first scene is with, well, it's at the funeral and then um, doing an eye test for a, a young girl. And how she can be, you know, she's talking about her cross-country running and how she's quite maternal in a way, which obviously is a big theme in the in the film. But she's just like the loveliest person. And when it later gets down the line that, you know, 
she meets her biological mother her you know um Cynthia Cynthia's like oh you you know your parents must have loved you they must be really proud of you like I bet the boys love you I bet you're successful and you're like I believe that because you are such a lovely person in this character I want to meet them all no but I agree I think I think what I love so much is that all three of these situations are set up and Mm -hmm. Other than the Brenda Bluffin one, which I think is a little more straightforward, you can tell that something is a little off about Maurice and his wife. Like, you know something's a little off about it, and you know something is a little off about um, Hortense, other than the fact that she doesn't have her parents with her anymore. Um, mm. Obviously, with, with Cynthia, it, she's just a wreck. But I think that <laughs> with the other two, you, there's, there's more of a mystery. And as you said, there, there are so many implications and I think that makes sense because the way people have discussions about severe family oriented connections and race relations and adoption is sensitive. And there is a lot mm-hmm. that's implied there. So when you're making a movie that's so intimately focused on all these topics that are intimate to, be, to begin with, you can't really be explicit about it um, because no, no, that's not how anybody talks. So I think that even though the dialogue was not written in the first place, I think that the way that the actors sort of convey this and the way that the story came to be really just exemplifies those emotions and and that whole idea of that, of how much of this doesn't need to be stated. And I really love that. But it it still feels so personal too. I don't know if Mike Lee (laughs) has a personal connection to the story in any way. I doubt it. But it feels very just you understand them all so well you feel like you're in this world like when when I rewatch it I'm like these are friends that I'm coming back to afterwards. Mm. it's not like distant where I can't connect with the characters even though I don't personally share I've never had an experience like this happen to me I, I I understand them so well and can connect with it so quickly and I think that just the way it's established really is consistent and it just understands what the tone of the film wants it it knows everything i think it's perfect i I love it (laughs) yeah you have you are your sort of love for this film i can totally understand because the first time i saw it i was blown away i came across it as uh you know an oscar nominee but also um it's in the 1001 films to see before you die which is another list that i finish um there's a pattern but yeah 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 um but obviously a new list comes out every year and then i'm set back and then i have to complete it again but only a few new ones come in every year but anyway i came to this one you know palm door winner you know and it was one of those ones where you often if you're trawling through cinematic history the ones that stand out are going to be critically loved usually and sometimes you can go in and think i don't really see what they saw there because that that just didn't hit me whereas this is one where you go in with really high expectations and you're blown away still and it's that's quite rare um so yeah i think the fact that this is a film about adoption essentially and a family drama it's sort of like a kitchen sink drama but it never feels cheap it never feels incredibly gloomy either like they say things in this that you'd find in eastenders which is like a soap opera we have over here which is very, very depressing a lot of the time. Like, you know, I wish I never had you, all that sort of stuff. But it's, it never feels really despairing because there's this, this sort of misanthropic humanism, which is like a thing in um, running a Werner Fassbinder's things. Like, it's just you're, you're living in a state of truth and there's something powerful to that, not just depressing, not just depressing for the sake of it. It's 
it's honest drama and it feels really authentic which is why you're saying like you could you'd want to meet these people because they feel real and that's a magic trick that mike lee can pull off so many times um that, that he maybe doesn't get enough credit for i feel like he is pretty you know acclaimed but he is he's incredibly good at that he's not popular in that sense not popular enough to get another film funded he said that he's like no one's letting me have funding for my next he wasn't telling the people what the idea was was he not Uh, well i i just trust him i just be like yeah mike lee give five million dollars oh of course yeah his last two films have been like incredibly uncommercial like peter lou and mr turner and i've watched one of those and i was like "Mm, this is this is a bit dull please just make another happy go lucky mr mike lee no, but I, as you were saying, like characters that feel this real and interesting at the same time, that's the best thing about a movie for me. The thing yeah. I look for most in a movie is the characters and then, then how the actors create the characters. I'm not, mm. I don't care if a movie looks pretty or if a movie is impressive in its visual effects. No, no, no. I, this is what I want in a film. Uh, and this film just up my alley in every way. Yeah, and it doesn't look pretty. And I think it's one of those films that's so good that I think only when we're talking about it now do I go, oh, yeah, like cinematography wise and visuals, there's nothing, there's no like iconic shot from this apart from the ones you know from the poster. Like, oh, yeah. uh, And her on the phone, yeah. Her on the phone, yeah. Like, it's because that's an important scene. That's like the major turning point of the film. But it's not because it looks good, it's because it's important to the characters. And it's pretty much solely based on the characters that it's so good. So there's it's something quite special, especially in the year of 96, where you have some more spectacular, you know, best picture. Well, a winner that year. But we'll, I, I'm sure we'll get on to that. Yeah, we will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But just okay. on, carrying on with the plot, I think, I think we've mm-hmm. talked about that section well. So the next moments are Hortense acting upon these thoughts. I want to meet my biological mother. I want to know if she's still alive. I want to know who she is. Um, mm-hmm. So she goes to make an appointment for it. And we need to talk about this scene because Leslie oh, Manville, please. she is so good in this scene. And she, this is the only scene that she has in the movie. And she is just so confident and has such a strong presence and makes mm-hmm. such a mark. But she's only in it for like five minutes. Yeah. She is incredible. Like it always, reminded, always, always incredible. Like she also turns up in Mister Turner for like ten minutes, and you're like, oh, where was this? This entire film, like <laughs> it's. She is incredible, and I know you don't like or you don't love uh, Phantom Fred, but that nomination. Oh, I, I do. Oh, I do you? That. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, I thought I heard you recently say, eh, I, yeah. oh, but maybe I, I was. Oh, and I, and I, I have her second that year, and I have second two. Uh, yeah 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 i was listening to your ladybird episode recently and like whenever i think of the oscars in context with ladybird because as a film it's got so much to think about but laurie metcalf's face when she loses that oscar is like she oh. knows she should have won oh yeah and she doesn't want to hide it as well but she's not being like grouchy about it she's just like oh that actually could have like changed my entire career and i deserved it and you're like yeah you did didn't you like that's that's a, just an incredible However, one of my favorite manville would have been that's like an inspired nomination like she should honestly oh, yeah. be nominated for this too because like just the impression she has in that one scene is so substantial well i had this say with um 
uh, licorice pizza. You know the scene when they go to see Harry the agent. Yeah, oh, I was like, oh, yeah. she's so good in that one scene. I was like, right? would she get a nomination from me because she is so so good in just that one I know. scene. I know. Um, and she's also in Phantom Fred. I so I hear. But yeah, Leslie Manville coming in that scene. And also, I don't know if it um, you found this in the performance, but I think there's something so recognisable about her character in that as a social worker. So if you, I mean, I've had like limited experience with like people working in the council, like the local council, people who are like in the civil service, which is like you're not working for the government, but you're working for local government. They tend to attract those kind of people who are very sort of, you want to keep telling them about your life, but at the same time, they're quite directive and they're quite controlling, but they're also very relaxing in that they're bringing you out of your shell a bit, but then also, you know, giving you a lot of information and getting their job done right. Um, she's abrasive, but she's incredibly sympathetic and you just want to keep watching her. So, I yeah, it just kind of jumps out like, oh, that's, that's amazing. Movie, a spinoff just about her character. <laughs> Yeah, give us the Mike Lee cinematic universe and have a Leslie Manville yes. uh, show on That's Disney Plus. But in that scene, it's it's her explaining the process of finding out your biological mother and all the risks and all the benefits of it. Uh, Marion John Baptiste. Sorry if I switch between the actor's name and the character. I tend to. No, no, I I think that's natural. Yeah. Yeah. So so she's like, okay, I want to meet her, and she's emotional, of course. And then while she's outside, she's reading the papers and, she's, and she looked at it and she's like, um, I think there's a mistake. It says that my mom is white. And then Leslie Manville is just like, oh, no, I, I really can't do this. I'm so busy right now. I'm, I'm sure it's fine. And then that's really where that's when the plot really just exemplifies. And that's when you realize that this is unique and just mm. extraordinary because that moment. So I didn't know what the plot was going into the film. Okay. And, and that really said so I said wow this has never been done in a film at least to my knowledge um and this is such a good idea and it just kept getting better and better and after this you just cut to Brenda Bleth and and her really just dirty life her arguing with her daughter and just the daughter going to the boyfriend or, or whatever and them having sex or almost having sex or whatever it is and then Brenda Bleth is just kind of broken up about all of it and she doesn't really know what to do um and, and yeah, in these next few scenes, you see her figuring it out. And I mean, what do you, what do you think of this, these moments of just Marianne John Baptiste sort of living her life, knowing that her mom is actually, that her initial mother, her birth mother is white. Yeah. I, I find it very interesting. Yeah, I think the thing about um, Marianne Jean Baptiste's character, Hortense, is she's like the most ridiculously put together person like she is i aspire to be like hortense because she takes she takes the information she doesn't deny it out of fear she processes it and then when she goes to address the issue which is getting in contact with cynthia her biological mother she's incredibly like cautious about it and she's very understanding of cynthia's she's petrified when you know she first makes contact and cynthia's just a nervous wreck from what's going on in her life and this this thing from her past coming back to haunt her and of course when she's talking on the phone that's later revealed she doesn't know that she's black and like you know and then when she meets her you know of course she's like oh yeah, darling you got it all wrong you know you can't i can't be and then it slowly dawns on her and it's those it's just those ripples of misunderstanding and characters not knowing everything about each other 
that you see unfold that creates the entire stakes of the film, which is so cathartic. Like yeah. a problem I had with a recent film, Belfast. Is, oh my god! I mean, don't don't get me don't, started. No, I, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I won't get you started because I brought this up. But basically, every character is aware of every single other character's feelings and thoughts because every character here overhears what every other character is discussing. Like it, it was impulsive. I got to a point where I was like, and I don't know if you had this when you saw it, but um, <laughs> there's a scene where like the granddad and the son, uh, grandson, are talking. And Judy Dench is just sat in a window like a cat. And I remember my friend just nudging me, being like, Judy Dench, Judy Dench, look, look. And I was like, oh, oh, she's she's in, she's in the corner. And then she starts talking. You're like, what is Kenneth Branagh's impulse just to have every single character overhear every other character so that everyone knows exactly what everyone's thinking? Because that's not how life is. Like, this is ridiculous. And that's why I don't like that film for right, one I'm of not, many reasons. I'm not going to say a word on that because then I'll get worked up but yeah no zero zero secrets or lies to be found in that film absolutely the lie is that it's a good film there you go yeah there we go the secret is that it's a bad film (laughs) yeah yeah okay i've derailed our secrets and lies talk so please bring us back yeah so i think that i don't know just the moment of discovery for me is so impactful and then and then you have the scene where maurice comes to visit oh yeah and it's like their first time seeing each other in a while. And she's just so lonely that she's so attached to another person that isn't her confusing daughter. So she's just, it breaks my heart just to see this woman really attached to her brother because she hasn't had any contact with anyone else for a really long time. And Brenda Bruckman just conveys this loneliness and this release of emotions so beautifully. And... Mm. Honestly, I also don't think Timothy Spall gets enough credit for this performance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, he was billed first, and that pisses me off because obviously Brenda Blethyn and and Marion John Baptiste was billed fourth. I mean, you may as well just bill her last if, if you're going to do that. Like, how did over who? Bill? Wait, so it was Timothy Spall, Brenda Blethyn, Claire Rushbrook? Uh, no, Phyllis Logan was performing. Phyllis Logan. Okay. Hmm. And that that really ticks me off. Honestly, build her last if you're going to do it like that. Just like, it's just so disrespectful. But I think they didn't have that that Marvel style billing back in 96. They should have just billed her second because she is the second lead. And they should have billed Brenda first. (laughs) Brenda, um, Marie Jean-Baptiste. I think think Marie Jean-Baptiste has the most, she has the most screen time of anyone in the movie. So I, I would bill her first. Yeah, but then are you going to bill Bill Macy over Francis McDormand for Fargo? That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the thing is, the only explanation I have, the only possible good reasoning behind that decision is maybe because there was no script. Maybe they filmed it, and he had the most film scenes, and and it, the way it edited down um, made it so that Cynthia and and uh, Hortense had the most scenes. But maybe with all the 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 filming that they did maurice had the most scenes that's the only possible explanation i can find no i think there's but another explanation then, even misogyny then, yeah i think that's the other one misogyny and racism yeah like if you put a man in a film who is the lead he's going to be the first build like i think that's not i don't agree with this but it just crops up time and time and time again and it's only now being somewhat rebalanced but not really like men can do the bare minimum still get top billing um billing becomes like build second in an unmarried woman or something crazy to is alan bates in an unmarried woman he plays the the 
British guy that she becomes a boyfriend with and then leaves. I totally blocked him out of that film. I find him quite no, interesting. No, no. Okay, he's not, but someone did no? that once and I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, even though she's literally in every scene of that film. Yeah. Well, she is the titular character. Yeah, she That's is. the thing. Secrets and Lies. There's no titular... Well, the Secrets and Lies, well, there's many of them, but, you know, it is about her having this child and not telling anyone about it or not telling her, her own biological daughter who she had later about it. Yeah. But and yes, I do, yes. I don't think... Okay, okay. maybe maybe it's it's good that Brenda gets the most attention considering that Timothy Spall was billed first. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it hurt his chances because he probably had a, a shot in best supporting actor, but you couldn't make that argument if he's being billed first. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he could have snuck into the supporting lineup, but he was automatically a lead because he is first billed. And I he would have made my five, but he wasn't going to make the five of 96. He would have made my one. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, Anyways, back to the film. Yes. Um, just her emotions throughout this connection with her brother. It, it's, it's not one of the biggest scenes of the film. It's not one of the most important scenes of the film. But it does demonstrate how this character feels in a way that you know, but you get to see. Really just yeah. And yeah, I, I just, I, I, I can just, I never can stop raving about her performance in this movie. I, I think it's, it's really one of the best ever. I, I think it's like, maybe my favorite of that whole decade i don't know there are a lot yeah i think that oh okay well i think that just she the way she says sweetheart i can't do it can you sweetheart (laughs) oh don't call her again sweetheart yeah it's kind of iconic at this point a lot a lot of people make fun of it though well that's the thing the 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 phone call so i loved this film the first time i saw it i rewatched it about phone call is the next scene but the phone call is like the the sort of linchpin of the film i'd say and she gets her most at her most shrill her most ticky her most like sweet oh don't you know she's she's very very fraught and i think i love that but i do look at it and i wonder did people look at this and think this is too much? She's really overacting. And I I still have that conflict in my mind. Is she overdoing it a bit? And I know you are probably going to argue not at all because the, it requires this. But at the same time, I do wonder, is it is it too much? Is this overstatement? Okay, let me ask you a question. Uh-huh. If, you, if, if when you were in your 20s and you gave birth to someone of an opposite race in the 60s, when that was not accepted and mm. you had to and you you decided to give this baby up didn't really think about her had a whole family and then have this person call you randomly after you connected with someone for the first time would you have a subtle restraint calm reaction that that's that's my thought i don't think well, we're doing it at all i think this is the perfect amount of emotion needed to demonstrate um how this character feels and considering that throughout the whole movie she she is okay this isn't like an over-the-top performance but it also isn't subtle so mm-hmm. i don't i don't think it, it it fails because this is exactly how that character would react in the situation and how i assume a lot of characters would react because that is a very yeah d- difficult thing to deal with especially considering her emotional state so i am not in agreement that she's overdoing it. Yeah. No, no, no. It's and it's not that I truly believe that. It's just a worry I have where I'm I'm so sold on this performance. Like this is genuinely 
if I lived in a vacuum and someone just played me films and I had no access to the internet and I had no, you know, like second guessing, I'd be like, this is one of the most effective performances I've ever seen that's been nominated for an Oscar. But I do worry about about the sort of backlash, which I think you can't help but sort of absorb of, say, like the marriage story. You know, when people used to take that clip out of context and be like, oh, this is celebrated acting. And for a second, you're like, no, 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 that's that's the like cathartic build up of like two hours of drama. And it, it does work in context. But when you take it out, it looks a bit silly. And it's one of those things where you could take the Brenda Blevin clip and people would go, what on earth is this? Like, she's way too over the top. But in, as you say, like with all that context, it makes sense. But at the same time, I've never been in such a situation, never even close to the situation she's in. So you never know. Yeah. I couldn't say whether that's overstating or understating it because I will never know that. And I've never known it yet, uh, you know, if I ever will. But you wonder, I think my reaction as a a quintessential british person would be to uh, not react and probably suppress it a bit although i do try not to but i find that she is i think that's why it really works but i think that probably worked against her when it came to the the ballot i think a lot of people would have looked at this and gone it's kind of annoying she's a bit annoying but i think that's she's meant to be annoying yeah but the year before that they did give it to mira sorvino in mighty aphrodite so i don't know if annoying intentional annoying but but that that you you have this argument too like i think you're right because another connection to another oscar movie i'll stop going on about these but in Mm, 1974 you have reviews of a woman under the influence going oh my Mm. god roland's no she is way too she's too much this is not realistic at all she's overdoing this on every front i'm voting for ellen burston Mm. i don't think that the level of that is as extreme as it is um with, with with I think that that's more extreme than this, but I suppose you do have it where like, oh, maybe this, these criticisms, I I actually believe in it. Maybe, maybe they're right, but I I, try not to feed into that because they're usually wrong. (laughs) I think hold on to that because you bringing that up funnily enough, like Jenna Rowland in A Woman Under the Influence is maybe my favorite performance of all time. I I want to say like, I genuinely... It, and it is a, it is like it's large. Let's not say over the top because that implies over what that that should be. But she's again put an incredibly fraught situation, and she's very mentally, Challenged. you know, she yeah. I mean, she's she's mentally ill. If that that's not you know, she has mental health conditions to the extreme in that, and it's exasperated by the situation she's put in with her children. Um, but that is maybe my favorite performance ever, and also another performance that I absolutely love which is way over the top, is Tilda Swinton in Snowpiercer. I think that's like my favourite supporting actress. Oh, I, love it. I love it. And it's just, it's it's everything. She's doing all the business and I love it. But anyway, we have got, sorry, I've just no, derailed yeah, no. it again. I could, I could go on about over the top performances that I think work. Because yeah. they're yeah. good. Like, I think we're fans of theatre and sometimes, you know. But I also love nuance like Marianne Jean-Baptiste because I don't think she ever really goes big. What, I don't, like, not once in the movie can I think of a scene where she's screaming. Does she no, what I think, voice? like, no, no, that is why I think these two performers work so well together. Which I've never really thought about is they're they're the opposite of each other in many ways. But it's funny, like how they have this kinship. How they, even though of course they share this sort of vulnerability about you're my daughter and you're my mother, but we've never met and we want to have this connection, especially at a time when um, Hortense has lost her family and. Cynthia doesn't feel like she has a close connection to her daughter or her brother 
So they're both vulnerable, but they're both really different, yet they come together. And I think that's why this film is so cathartic, is that family, however unlikely, you know, whether you, regardless of your background or your upbringing or your skin colour or anything, if you're related, sometimes you do just have that bond. And that's really important that they they embrace that rather than part ways. You know, there's parts of this film where you think Cynthia's going to go, never call her again. I don't want to talk to you. And you're thinking, no, 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 no. Like, please, please have a relationship because I want you two to know each other because you could help each other to be fulfilled in life. Yeah. No, it's really beautiful. I, again, sometimes, again, I, I, back to the whole thing. Do I, do I wonder, is Marianne Jean-Baptiste better than Brenda Blethyn? Because she is, she is playing a character that has to subtly realize everything. But then again, I don't want to compare them because they're both so excellent and they're both really trying to do different things. So I don't know if that's yeah. appropriate. But given the context of this telephone scene, it is, of course, the, not the, maybe the barbecue is the climax. This is one of the oh, yeah. climaxes. And it really just draws you in. And you're and, and not once in the scene do you think that characters are just reading lines or just trying to act so much. It, they, they still connect themselves so deeply to the story. And you also, before this, you have this scene where Roxanne is just torturing Cynthia. Mm. And, and she also kind of reacts strongly to that. She, she's crying. She throws herself on the bed. Um, mm. So this whole string of events really flows nicely together. And then during that scene, you see Marianne Jean-Baptiste debating or not whether she wants to call her and really struggling to pick up the phone. Um, so all of these intertwine so perfectly uh i don't know I'm, I'm, i feel like i'm sort of circling around in my words here but no I no no love, yeah. i love this moment i, I think it's so powerful yeah because it's it's panic versus prepared like i want to address this and she's taken cynthia is totally taken aback by oh my god my daughter this daughter this part of my past i've totally repressed because of traumatic circumstances i am going to it, you know it gets unearthed and it's incredibly startling for her but um, Hortense is very patient. And then I think they sort of, you know, she says, don't call here again in case, you know, of course, um, her daughter Roxanne picks up. But then later she gives her a call and goes, okay, let's meet. And I think that is a really important, obviously, progression to their reunion, I suppose, like from when they (laughs) first met, you know, when she gave birth to her. Um, And I think that's just such a beautiful scene. And yeah, and obviously it adds to the complication when they first meet, they don't even know what they each other looks like. You know, she goes up to her and says, oh, are you Cynthia? And then she goes, oh, you got it all wrong, darling. You got it all wrong. Because, um, you know, because she's like, "I, my daughter wouldn't be black. And then it's only when they go for a, a cup of tea, very, you know, very quintessentially British there, um, that it dawns on her. And it's in those moments where the revelations are happening for Cynthia that's incredible, like from a performance point of view, from a dramatic point of view. And it's when she's being kind of clunky and a little bit insensitive about the whole situation. And it's shown on Hortense's face that she's kind of like, I'm just going to not bite my lip, but just kind of, yeah, this is really hard for me because it's, the, the you know, the fact that she, she's meeting her biological birth, birth mother and her mother's being like, no, you can't be my daughter. She's a bit like, yeah, but, you know, you are, you are though, because here's your signature. Yeah, that whole scene in the cafe mm. is really good because Marianne John Baptiste is just like, yep, mm-hmm. she's just kind of standing there having to internalize everything and not really react because yeah. she's scared. Well, Cynthia is just 
destroyed. And again, I think Marianne Jean-Baptiste's acting is just as impressive as Brenda Blethyn's, even yeah. though Brenda Blethyn is showier because she has to just demonstrate this character and keep her consistent. Because if Marianne Jean-Baptiste were to just start crying and saying, no, this is all wrong, then it wouldn't make sense. Um, yeah. So it's really powerful. And I also just, I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but a lot of the reason why they these two characters ultimately connect so well is because they're so lonely in such different ways. Because uh, Cynthia is more apparent in her loneliness. Um, mm -hmm. She doesn't have, have a partner and her daughter is kind of distant from her. They argue a lot. She's separated. She doesn't really have any friends. She works in a factory and in a room alone, really. Um, mm -hmm. And even though Hortense is collective and calm and restrained and knows what her occupation is and is successful and leads a nice life and, and has friends, she doesn't, she still feels lonely because, because she feels like she's figured it out maybe too much. And mm -hmm. that's why they're, they're, they're on the opposite spectrums of what loneliness is. And this scene in the cafe is maybe not them realizing it, but as an audience, realizing how they can bring themselves together and connect and how them being mother and daughter makes sense. Um, yeah. And I really like that. <laughs> yeah. And it's so interesting that Mike Lee shoots it as them sitting next to each other at the cafe rather than opposite each other, which is how you traditionally shoot that with like a reverse shot, reverse shot, you know, like showing their reactions, but they're in the same frame because they're sitting next to each other, which is something you sometimes do if you're going out for coffee or something. But I've started doing that recently because I find that you, it's actually, you don't have to look at each other if you know someone really well to talk to them. You can talk like not as necessarily seeing them because you're both seeing exactly the same thing if you're sitting next to them. And I find that really effective, of course, because you're capturing both their reactions um and i think that that whole i think that scene is is the pivotal one of the film i know i said that about the phone call but this is like the most beautiful distillation of what this film is about and it it ends i mean we might want to get onto what other things they speak about although it's a fairly brief conversation but when um cynthia asks hortense when did you know you were adopted and she says oh when i was seven when my parents were bringing me back from barbados oh. and yeah. yeah and then Cynthia says oh well how did you feel like were you upset and she went well yeah I just looked out of the clouds and she kind of looks off and Cynthia looks as if she can see exactly what she saw like she's kind of looks into the air and then brings herself back and goes, oh, you know like you know has another drag of her cigarette which is just I love it it's cheesy kind of but I love it, I it it's so. I think no it's no really yeah and also I love that this even again like throughout the movie before this point, for at the first hour, Marianne Jean Baptiste, collective, successful, but never really joyful. And then after this, she's kind of in her home, smiling a lot, very bright. And Cynthia is just never happy. And then after this, she's she's growing her smiles, and it is just so powerful and so beautiful. And I don't know. It's one of those moments that you can only really get on film. It, it's, it's, it expresses the magic of, of movie making. And I know that sounds really corny and just stupid, but it is what I like to see when I watch a movie. I like moments like these where characters showcase their arc in a way that isn't too explicit and in a way that is very powerful. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that. 
absolutely. So yeah, no, the next scene after the diner, of course, is um, when Stuart, well, no, it starts off at the photography shop, which we haven't really spoken about too much, but um, I love the scenes at the photography shop. Like they are fantastic. And of course, um, Timothy Spall is taking photos of various different people, just a cavalcade of former Mike Lee collaborators, his wife, Alison Steadman, no longer his wife now, but um, at the time she's in it um, with the dog. You've got Liz Smith, um, who's with a cat, maybe, um, and just various different people. Very humanizing. And then he's taking pictures of a model who was scarred in an accident. And she's clearly very, very bitter about um, the injury she was caused by uh, the person who was driving, who I believe was her boyfriend. It's implied again, very implicit. And then the former owner of the photography shop, Stuart, sort of is loitering around the outside and uh, he comes in and he's very bitter. He's very drunk and he's very leery. And yeah, I think that's my favourite scene in the film because it is so uncomfortable. Um, and Mike Lee just clearly let the actors improvise to such incredible effect that this scene is so tense. It's probably the, one of the tensest scenes of the film, even though there's really dramatic stuff that happens later. Just because what do you do when a drunk person just walks into the middle of your nice, orderly life? It's quite awkward just to be like, uh-huh, go away. Um, yeah, and that's the scene in a nutshell. I, <laughs> I'm i going to say this and it's going to sound more extreme than it is. So this is a top 10 movie for me ever. Like, uh-huh. So okay. everything about it to me is pretty perfect. But this is the scene that I'm the least interested in. in- okay, enough. yeah. I, I still yeah. love it though. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just think that it's the scene that I'm the least interested in. Um, no, but it is really good because you have this person who you expect to be all messy, but then it's like, oh shit, we kind of took over him in a way and and, and we don't really know what to do with this person. So it is it, it does showcase this confusion between orderly people. Whereas with the Hortense character, she's an orderly person, but she doesn't face confusion, confusion often. She just faces mm-hmm. tough preparations and um a lot of barriers. Whereas I think this scene demonstrates their families. I, I think that the, that Maurice and and her, and his wife are more um, <laughs> dis, uh, emotionally drained than Hortense per se. But I think that this mm. scene sort of brings them out more a little bit. It does add another layer to them. Because um, yeah. you, you could so easily like I think that Mike Lee could have easily taken the scene out yeah uh, but but he chose not to because i do think it's important into demonstrating their history a little more rather than just cynthia and hortense yeah and i think it shows that um uh a timothy spall's character maurice like he is not just this like lovable nice like very affable person but when it comes to it like he will stand up for himself and i think that's really important because that's a line that not many of the characters in this cross between or sort of walk that that line of being vulnerable but also being outspoken and it's sort of and he's centralized and that's why he's almost in the end he tends to be the sort of central figure by the end of the film um but yeah i i I just love i love that scene for how awkward it is but also something we haven't really spoken about is phyllis logan as his uh, as maurice's wife i can't remember her name but um i think she's incredible in this film yeah 
and again, my mom, so I was watching this with my parents a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And my mom, the second she saw that character, she was like, oh, I don't like her. I know that there's something terrible about her. Like, the mm-hmm. second she came on stream, she's like, oh, yeah, no, nope. I know her. Yeah, <laughs> I know her. That That's a bitch. And <laughs> I, I agree. Just all, I think this is just a uniformly strong cast. I don't think there's a single weak link in the cast. Mm-hmm. I think they're all doing exactly what they should be doing. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't think she gets enough attention and neither does Claire Rushbrook. Claire Rushbrook, yeah, yeah. We're both so, really good. She is fantastic. I mean, in the eventual Best Supporting Actress lineup, I would give my second vote of this film to um, Phyllis Logan. But I do think Claire Rushbrook is incredible. And I think, ironically, um, a lot of times in films, obviously you have family dynamics. She really looks like Brenda Blevin to me. Like they really could be mother and daughter whereas in a lot of films you have to strain the credulity of that whereas here and ironically later on um brenda blevin says to marion jean baptiste she's like oh we look more similar than i do to her and i'm like no you look like so much like claire rushbrook it's kind of creepy actually yeah. and the fact that they use a picture of claire rushbrook on the mantelpiece at maurice's house um that he says he took and it's so clearly her as a child it just adds to the the universe of this. You're never ever taken out of it because it all feels incredibly authentic. Mm. Do we know Claire Rushbrook what 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 Roxanne's age is supposed to be? Is well, she-, she had her after Hortense, um, and Hortense is 27. So I think um she's 21, isn't she? Because she's turning 21 okay. in the film. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Never mind. Yeah. My point wouldn't make sense. But yeah, I think that all of these people. Again, all of them are so good at demonstrating natural, not naturalism, realism um, in this very authentic, gritty, sort of down to earth way that only Mike Lee can can get out of his actors. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you've seen a lot more movies than me. So have you seen anything really like this in terms of performances or is this really on its own in terms of I don't know why this pops to my mind, but Cries and Whispers reminds me of like this sort of like incredibly strong ensemble about family. Um, that's Different a very goal. lofty answer. But yeah, goal. yeah. But I see what you're saying. It's a family drama and everyone compliments each other. And I don't know, dare I say Hannah and her sisters, that, rem- it, you know, a bit reminiscent of the sibling dynamic. But do you mean, are there many films that remind me of a cast so strong, that kind of thing? You know, I mean, this style of acting, is there any oh. outside of Michael Lee? Is there really anything? I, I, I hope not. <laughs> I don't know. His feels very like theatrical and his, his, but in an understated way, like his um, process is to get the actors together and, um, you know, rehearse endlessly or not endlessly, you know, for a really intensive period and then just shoot um, after six weeks of really rigorous rehearsals. Like that's how Happy Go Lucky was made. So I don't know. Anyone who pursues that kind of method will end up getting performances a bit like this, but I don't think there's really anyone that has the patience to go via this method that I can think of who does it better than Mike Lee. Yeah, it's really incredible. And just when when I didn't, I watched this movie and I watched Vera Drake without knowing Mm -hmm. that. And after I found that out, I had already said, oh my God, Brenda Blethyn was robbed. Oh my God, Imelda Staunton was robbed. And then I found that out and I got even more mad at the fact that they didn't win because that is nuts. How can you, how can you play this character so well and not have 
too much guidance. It's, yeah. it's insane to me. I, I, it's, I could never be an actor. I would be well, so no. bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. The characters feel real because they are a part of the actor playing them. They're not being directed and scripted without consideration of who they are because the script and the film is built on who they are as people and performers. So that's why it all works so well. Um, yeah, I mean, between the, obviously the the diner scene, uh, the cafe scene rather, and then the Photoshop scene where the former owner comes in and causes a bit of a stir, um, you have uh, Cynthia and Hortense meeting a few other times and really kind of becoming closer and more casual, asking those kind of questions that you would between mother and daughter but if you hadn't met until you were both adults you know like do you only date black boys and what do you look for in a man and who what kind of movie stars do you like you know they're kind of a bit cheeky with each other but getting to know what they really want to know about each other at the same time and then it's it's culminating towards this final act of um roxanne's 21st and and she feels incredibly compelled to invite um hortense who is uh, you know Roxanne's half sister um, but she's doing it all under the guise of her being a work friend and that never seems too believable when you look at it on the surface but at the same time you're like no no, no I want I want Hortense to be there because she deserves to be there and she feels compelled and Rox- um, Cynthia does as well you know uh, but all the same time they're just loading the the TNT into that you know yeah. final explosive set piece aren't they it's like no 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 this isn't gonna go well um no yeah i adore the scenes so it's after um the photography scene that we talked about so after Mm -hmm. that they be they go on dates more often they really become close friends and you see these two people who are so lonely like get out of that state and you do have roxanne sort of questioning her but also becoming Uh a little closer with her mother because her mother's becoming more of an open person I yeah. just adore the restaurant scene and the scene where they go to the, the club at night, I believe. They're just so wholesome, but still entertaining and really move the story along in an interesting way. And you're so into these conversations, these intimate questions. Um, and again, they're acting so good alongside each other. Their chemistry is pretty perfect. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You're really not going to hear any complaints from me about this movie. It's just going to be gushing praise the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing. Like they have such chemistry that you would, if you look at it, you're like, oh yeah, they're mother and daughter. Like, of course. But then you think about it and you're like, no, this is really rare to come across in films. Like some people that at ease with each other, but feeling that realistic about the whole thing where everything they do or say, every move, every word is you know steeped in either a little bit of anxiety a little bit of sort of nerves sort of butterflies you know but they're affectionate towards each other and that starts to come out more and more and you start to really believe in their future that they can actually have a relationship which at the start was didn't seem possible because you know Cynthia was so fraught with nerves about even the possibility of bringing up that part of the past so yeah it's all building to this final oh yeah uh, when when big reunion Mm-hmm. yeah you I mean, know it's just gonna explode yeah is there anything you want to talk about before we get to the 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 climax i think that's that's all i think we covered it all because well there is one thing well she invites so the party's happening mm-hmm. cynthia asks maurice can i invite a friend from work she he says mm-hmm. sure and you have this shot of marion john baptiste you don't even see her face and this is another reason why I think she's so good. You don't even see her face. And she's just kind of looking out the window, a little worried in her house, getting ready. 
and you don't see her face it's just her the back of her looking at the window and you and her acting is still so good because you know exactly what she's thinking even yeah. though she isn't saying or expressing anything it's it's so brilliant she's so good and like i think the thing i realized more and more with this performance from her is she probably wasn't making this thinking oh i'm gonna be an oscar nominee I don't know anyone an, making this thought it was going to be. No, because Mike Lee, had his, none I of his films that. had ever got a nomination. And that was the big push that year. You know, the indies come to usurp the big temple, you know, dramas from studios. But yeah, she gave that performance earnestly, not expecting acclaim or accolades. She just did her best. And you look at it and you're like, this is the best thing Oscar does is when it awards something that wasn't anticipating awards because of course then you get into uh, oscar bait which so many films inevitably are as we go on and on and on you know and that um, doesn't always it isn't always a bad thing to be oscar bait but no. it, it can be overbearing <laughs> yeah because i think you want to award someone who is humble not that really aspired to do the job <laughs> Sally the end goal <laughs> Sally, Sally Kirkland, that's a weird nomination. No, I, I love really... I love that though. I love that though. Like, yeah, that but she really so campaigned for herself. Oh, I, I respect the people that campaign for themselves, whereas I maybe look a bit less funnily on, say, the Oscar bait, like Renee Zellweger and Judy, where I'm like, you took that role to win an Oscar and you did it. And I hate that, like, that was just written in stone from the second you signed the contract. Like, yeah. that shouldn't be how the Oscars work in my mind, but that is. A massive part of the history but yeah um, how parasite did not I, I, no one working on parasite yeah be a best picture winner and no it one. adds it adds a joyousness to when it does win because you're celebrating something because it genuinely earns that accolade rather than it being like well you did you know you ticked all the boxes here you go will smith you played a real life person <laughs> you're good in it like and that will happen but i'm not mad that he's going to have an oscar but what if you'd won it for like something really original and like not necessarily on paper, it was going to be great, but he just gave it his all. And maybe that was never going to happen for him, but I think he is going to win. And I think it's going to be for that role. And I'm just going to roll my eyes and just go, Hey, you know, fair enough. I'm glad he has an Oscar. Yeah. But do you want to get into the, uh, the barbecue yes. theme? Because this is almost an hour, no 40 minutes maybe of, of I, 30, 30 so funny, 40 minutes of just you know what's going to happen but even then it is so i don't want to say cathartic maybe a little bit yeah but, yeah but also very riveting and yeah. just expresses everything that the film does perfectly at its at its best it's, it's the peak in a lot yeah. of ways yeah, well, funnily you say the the this time frame because I noticed because I I watched it right before we recorded. I kind of w- waggled my cursor when I was about half an hour away from our record, and it just hit that scene. So it's kind of like the last yeah. half hour of the film it's the is third dedicated. Act. Yeah, and yeah, it's. I think the beautiful thing about Secrets and Lies, which I realised upon the most recent rewatch, is this final act is a, a summation of what it's about. In the same way that like every photography scene is a little microcosm of the drama, because like obviously you're looking at this family uh, under a microscope. But when you see um, Maurice taking photos of like, say, eight people in a row, you can tell like 
that the the family dynamics between them whether it's like a dog and its owner or like a husband and wife who have just been married or like a guy who's getting his photo taken to send it off to india to find a bride like they you can sense and intuit like a world of drama in each of these people and i think that's like the whole film is about this and then it all culminates in a set piece which is it's theatrical it's like it's like a drama it's like a play you go and see it's the most it's it's perfect in in all ways but one but i don't know if you and i have both picked up on that in all ways but one what do you mean well i i think it's beautiful and i love the ending but the horrible adr have you noticed this horrible what adr like the audio like where they dub the dialogue because it's outside so a bit i I don't really pay attention i so when i watch movies that are so british like this Mm, i have to watch subtitles um oh yeah i don't know if you have that same feeling about american movies but no i I use subtitles for most movies i watch but especially with British movies because it is like watching a movie in another language in a lot of ways when it's to this level something like the father I I don't need subtitles for but when it's like this when it's their their accents are so different and and, and there's so much yeah. dialogue I I can't imagine naked I don't understand uh-huh. how I ever watch that movie without subtitles that's like even more um but yeah no so I don't I don't really notice that because I'm, I'm reading a lot of the time yeah okay but, that makes sense but, that's funny though like because of course in 96 you had train spotting which famously had subtitles in America like on standard issue because they're so Glaswegian um which is a real like sort of uh uh I don't know the right word I don't want to say mutation of the English language but it's incredibly divergent yeah. from like our received pronunciation which is kind of how i talk which is very you know typical british yeah Um, i don't need i don't need subtitles to understand no no but i mean i understand i that's that's an interesting thing like when i I spoke to gordon about little voice i was like i really want to know what a non-english person thinks of this film because it's so english and that's kind of the same with mike lee and secrets and lies like a lot of it is very commonplace for me but i imagine to anyone else watching from outside well, it must seem because the story is so universal and so personal it yeah away. but let's take a movie like nativity where it is <laughs> so british i don't yeah I, I enjoyed it but i feel like if i were a british person then i would be able to understand it more and and i think that you can have the same feeling about certain american movies and american iconic movies and even with parallel mothers if i was a spanish person i would get that ending and that whole subplot about mm. the war more but now i just yeah. view it as okay i recognize what almodovar is doing with this spanish politics but i can't personally connect to that aspect of it so i feel like like if i lived in spain if i grew up in spain if i was spanish then i would get it more but there, there yeah. are movies like that that are cultural and i don't think that's an issue but i think that no, no, no. titles for me and understanding it is, is something that i need a lot of time no <laughs> and that's yeah no no and i i totally sympathize with that but and that's the thing the, the with the ending oh not quite the ending but when they're in the the garden it's like an eight minute kind of oh, not yeah. unbroken take but it's a really long scene the adr because they're like filming on an echoey patio is really clearly dubbed over and that always takes me out a little bit where i'm like it just doesn't sound like they're actually saying these things. And then you're like, how much did they work to really sync it up with their like on-screen dialogue and them doing it in a vocal booth? I just always have that when it gets to this part of the film. Other than that, but in terms of the characters gripe. and plot, 
it, it's not an issue it's just kind of the technical oh yeah no, no no it's just the technical and that's the thing that's the only time the technicalities of this film burgeon on my enjoyment of it because the rest of it like the cinematography the direction the art direction whatever like you don't really notice it because it's not the point yeah, yeah of course um it just takes me out a little bit that but bit, maybe but... uh, maybe if i if i rewatch it i'll, I'll notice that but I suppose I'm so entranced by the story and the characters and no. I read the whole time that I'm not really paying attention to that. But again, I'm yeah. not someone who looks out for sound and cinematography or even editing much unless it's fucking Moulin Rouge or something like that, where there yeah. are 15 cuts in a second. But I think that... Um, that is not Secrets and Lies. It's very like still and lingering, isn't it? But yeah, this barbecue, which is all for um, Roxanne's 21st, ends up yeah. devolving into, I, I think the tensions are already there. The cracks are there, but then it, they're sort of pried open by the fact that Morris and um, uh, his wife give um, their niece quite a generous birthday present. And it just kind of reminds Cynthia of how she hasn't been able to provide that material support to her daughter, but she has raised her on her own. And it's, you know, her and Phyllis Logan kind of logging heads and being like, you know, you you think you're a better mother to her than I am, but I've actually had to raise her. And actually, do you know what? Big surprise, you know, she's my daughter, the other one, you know. So that yeah. then it all comes to a head. It's just such a great scene. Also, I, the food they were eating looked good. <laughs> I wanted to eat it too. I think yeah. so. Okay, because they're having like a barbecue. So they're having like steak and yeah, hot dogs, like right? Yeah. I don't know. I just yeah. get hungry when I watch big eating scenes in movies. But yeah, this is a really, again, I've, I've used this word maybe a hundred times in this episode. But this is the most intimate mo- point in the film. Because all of these people are learning something that as an audience knows, there's the d- dramatic irony of the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, where as an audience, we know maybe what's going to happen, we, we, but we don't know how they're re- going to react. Yeah. Uh, even knowing their personality so well, even though Mike Lee brought us into the world of each of these characters so beautifully, we mm-hmm. still don't know how they're going to feel about it. This is a very difficult subject. Um, and it just, it, it, it gets silent. It gets uh, sad. It, it, it really just works. <laughs> yeah i think you don't know what's going to happen and the directions that it mm-hmm. takes are always believable and then you have that that whole thing where maurice sort of stands up and comes up and says well he says the title of the movie he's like secrets secrets and lies yeah <laughs> yeah no i think the most crucial reaction and i hope anyone who's listening has seen the film because it's so so much the film is this final scene but oh not final scene but final act um where it's Claire Rushbrook's reaction to it all. It's, you know, Roxanne's reaction to her finding out that her mother, the friend she's been seeing is actually her stepsister, that her mum had this traumatic past where she had to, where she had this child, you know, had to give her away and never mentioned it. But that um, Maurice and his wife have known the entire time and never told her. Um so it's all kind of distilled to her and it's it's beautiful because at first well you know beautiful in like a terrible way um at first she's like i don't believe you what are you going on about which is very british i feel like maybe that's that's in thing and all you know disbelief you're just like well you're joking like what are you on about and then it slowly dawns on her as people start crying and being mortified she's like oh my gosh like the reality kind of drops and she's like <gasps> and she's the one who 
causes the biggest scene and leaves but she only goes to the bus stop and you know maurice goes back and gets her and i think maurice is the glue at that point you know he's he's the one kind of holding everyone together and i just love that bit where you know he's like comforted everyone and then like his secretary that's been there the whole time goes oh yeah i wish my dad was like you maurice and you're like oh yeah like even the people on the fringes are still full human characters who still have a world of emotion they're bringing in even if you don't know anything about them you really just just hit the nail on the head of encapsulating that scene i don't know how i'm supposed to follow up on that but one thing i noticed that adding on to marianne jean baptiste's consistency is that throughout the scene still not really reacting and really being internalized in how she feels and that to me is one of the more subtly heartbreaking aspects of it because if you were in that situation what do you do you can't do anything about it you can't really speak up for yourself you just have to sort of watch as your crazy family is all going insane over you so it's over you yeah it's 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 really just a very dire circumstance that Maurice, yeah. Maurice, as you said, he's the glue. He brings it all together. And he says, we need we to accept you. You are a member of our family. And you realize she is, she's essentially the glue too, because she's yeah. going to bring them more together. This event is actually what they needed, even if it was yeah. unexpected. And that is such a beautiful thing, how, how the most unexpected, shocking, quote unquote, mistakes that you make in your past life can come back and really make your life not a misery and i think that that you see that brought up with brenda levin's character throughout she she's with hortense but this scene she really brings it out of the entire family which Mm. again is is something that is so beautiful because it's a dark story it's depressing but it ends on a hopeful positive note which i really like i like stories that are surreal and in their authenticity and and have these depressing auras but they conclude in a way that's hopeful, but still realistic. They don't want to be all mushy, gushy Hollywood, um, but, yeah. but still still feel real and still work. And, and you don't forget about um, how tragic it was. And now they've really come through and expressed. Every, everyone in this movie kind of has their own character arc. None of them are really one note sticks. They're all really developed. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the thing. So you, well. you almost think that, say, the most one-dimensional character might be Morris's wife, who is um, this, like, as we touched on earlier, like a very cold, you know, like quite unlikable person. But in this final climax, it comes out that she, a lot of the reason why she's so turbulent and so quite aggressively pushing away any affection is because she, the whole time, has been suffering from the fact that she can't have kids and it really impacts her. And as Maurice says, like he goes, it almost ruined us. I love you to pieces, but it almost ruined us. And it's kind of like a time when you see that he he has struggled because he's giving her unrequited affection, the whole film. And you wonder why he stays with her or why she was ever with him because they're very differently, like, you know, on the surface, he's like this big guy and she's like this very sort of groomed, you know, like, you know, very beautiful woman, but she's also incredibly cold. And then in that final scene, you see that they've gone through like so much history, having, you know, been this sort of surrogate parents to um, Roxanne. They've done it because they wanted to have a kid themselves, but couldn't. And the first time you see his wife is she's looking out the window at kids playing in the street going, oh, they're making a lot of noise. But you can tell she's, she's aching to be maternal, whereas Cynthia, say, has been maternal, but out of 
no, you know, she has to be maternal because her the, the parent of both her children have left her. Um, so yeah, it's and then and then in the end, you know, you see uh, Phyllis Logan break down, and Cynthia comforts her. It's the first time in the film where they go from antagonistic towards each other to reconciliation. You know, they become yeah comforting of each other, and and it's nice to see that wall break down in that final scene where everyone's wall comes crashing down because everyone you know it the other thing that kind of hit me on the third time was it is kind of cliche a little bit how you know like timothy spool goes you know secrets and lies they tear us apart and you're like yeah yeah you, you didn't have to say it considering but... the character because... it works because it's coming after all this revelation and it happens you're a bit like oh and then he starts to break down and that's why it works i think and that's why he should have been nominated for this because F1. he he breaks he's been the glue and then he fractures and then you're like <gasps> but then he brings it back because the whole point i think which is antithetical to how british culture is perceived or how it's interpreted by british people is you when it comes to emotion you suppress and you don't talk about things and you're polite and this film goes yeah that will only work to a certain extent because at the end of the day you're going to be miserable and you're going to have to talk about it and then when you do you're going to be better off for it and i think this came in the time of course of like ivory merchant where they're adapting old like 18th century 19th century books that are about how like people are so 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 reserved and repressed that like it's almost a tragedy just to look at them that they're so sort of porcelain but they're clearly just like fracturing and they're not feeling anymore because they're made of glass and you know like Howard's End and Remains of the Day where like Anthony Hopkins is like the most reserved person you'd ever see in a, in a film and it's so sad um but yeah that's my little tangent about um wow. oh, nice. British reservations I I think that and that can also be used humorously in films but obviously this is not, oh yeah yeah but i think that no. with secrets and lies you have the reveal which is so grand because there's a lot of build-up across the film that isn't trying to act as build-up it, it comes across as just normal storytelling um it isn't trying to really hype itself up and say oh just wait because it wants yeah. you to be thoroughly engaged it doesn't want you thinking about anything else other than what's going on in the moment um so at the beginning, as you said, you have this character who's cold, but then the reveal is she can't give birth. She she's what is it, the term infertile? I think. You, you yeah, know. she's infertile. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, and you can't give birth, and then that, and other obviously some of the other characters is more obvious, but the whole family finds out later, and just it makes the reveal so grand and so impactful, because you want to know how these characters feel about certain things, but the movie pauses on that and wants you to be focused on their lives outside of that and then when the right moment comes it times it really just perfectly because it knows how the audience feels so specifically and wants them to in and and ensures that this world that mike lee has so beautifully created is special and that it, it has this revelation within itself where all of these characters who are lost or sad or confused or suppressed come together and maybe aren't able to exactly express themselves as too openly, but are able to become more comfortable with who they are. And I think that 
that is really it's not I, I didn't cry during this movie but that's something that really mm. just like whoa like shit like that is emotional yeah i think in say the way that like a great like mystery film or a great noir a great thriller kind of draws you in by adding all these elements of intrigue and consequence you know like these elaborate things that are almost like a domino line in mike lee to him the most intriguing thing is how are you going to react if you're put in this situation and it's so deceptively simple the premise that like this is a family drama but the most intricate ingenious thing he does is the most like elaborate thing you could ever do is just put people in the situation because their reactions are going to be like clock not clockwork in that you can predict it but they're so intricate and so built into who they are as people that all the intrigue all the thrill and the you know detail comes in their performance and how they're going to differently react to these situations and by you know it's kind of like slowly turning the heat up on like a pot until it's boiling by the end they're in a boiling pot and they all jump out but all in different directions and so mm. that's how and this isn't the end of the film of course like there's one last scene yes. afterwards which is so it's also mike leaving like you thought i was going to do this it's like because they're dressed in black and you know you're thinking oh gosh cynthia's died cynthia's died and they're both in black talking about how they should be sisters. And then Cynthia comes out. She's like, oh, do you want a cup of tea? And, you know, you're like, oh, he's just subverted. <laughs> you thought it would start with a funeral and end with a funeral. But it, rather than going down, we're like, oh, you know, why does Cynthia have to die at the end? He goes, well, why would she die? Like, let's just have the two sisters existing with their mother. And that's and it pretty much cuts really, really quickly to the credits. It starts with the end of a family and the end of life mm. and the ending doesn't begin life but it kind of creates it so as you yeah. said the opposite effect where it's creating a new life for well these past couple of weeks have been a new life for Hortense but this is the start of it this is really the breaking point where everything everyone knows what they should know for it to function without any hesitation um, yeah. So you end on death and you don't, I mean, you start on death, but you don't, you don't necessarily end in life, but you end in creation. Um, yeah. And it's really beautiful. Yeah. I mean, that, that's an argument why Hall tends maybe as the key character because she, oh, I think it she begins is. with her losing her family and it ends with her gaining a new one. Yeah. It's, it's really quite beautiful and it's quite optimistic for a film that is so it can be quite dramatic, but not an ever in a despairing way. It's just Mike Lee going, I'm not, I'm not Ken Loach. Like I'm not giving you the grittiest realism you've ever seen. I'm giving you realism in an optimistic sense, because this is actually how people want to live. Like people do want to come together and be family and relate to each other. And it doesn't have to end in death all the time. There's times before death when you can have, you know, relationships with other people and, come together in the weirdest of circumstances and it ends on a very abrupt note like i noticed how quickly the credits roll um but it's it's yeah as you said as you said you love this film and i love this film too yeah and it, it and just ends in like yeah these characters are going to keep on living happily you can not, see not it happen happily either. ever after way but in a real no. way that is positive and you don't need to you don't need to see it you know it's yeah. going to happen because you yep. know those characters the seeds are planted and they're going to grow in your mind like you yeah. just know 
something positives come out of that and i think you leave the film going yep that that was incredibly fulfilling so yeah yeah i think we covered all of it i don't think we missed secrets and lies (laughs) yeah we did it yeah it is it is one of my all-time favorites really just I, it's funny on Letterboxd, the first time I saw it, I gave it a four and then it gradually <laughs> moved up to a five and then I rewatched it as a five and it's like never going down. No way. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's funny. The first time I saw it, five stars. Second time I watched it a month ago, I was like, oh, four and a half. And now I rewatch it. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Not many films manage yeah. what Secrets yeah. and Lies does. So five, like I sometimes my friends go, you give five stars to a lot of things. And I'm like, hey, I watch a lot of movies. And like sometimes the film just hits hard and you're like, this is special. I could be a stickler and give it a four and a half. But the, if it really hits me, that's what the five stars is for, you know? So yeah, Secrets and Lies, five stars. Five star film, exactly. Do you want to get into the, the questions? There aren't too many. Absolutely. Yes. Okay, they're mostly technical or Oscar related, not much about the film. Um, So our first question is kind of a fun one from Miles McHale. How do we get Brenda Blethyn back in the Oscar race? (laughs) She was a real Judy Dench or Imelda Staunton for a bit there. I want her back. I want her back. Where is she? I don't know if she's coming back. She's doing Vera, which is like a British TV show. It's kind of like Poirot, but we have like about a dozen different detective shows where like a a detective is in a town and they maybe have, I think she has a nice hat. I think that's her main thing. Um, yeah. I don't know. She's 75. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, as I think, as I said on Twitter, put her in the crown, like put her in the crown, get her you oh, know, yeah. Emmys, BAFTAs. I don't know who she'd be. Maybe the queen mum, but that, maybe that's a bit insulting because yeah. Milda Staunton is the queen in the next series. But yeah, yeah. Well, I don't you, know how else you all, follow, you all can follow her on Twitter, which is a lot of fun. What? Um, Brenda Blevin? Yeah, you didn't know that she has a Twitter? <laughs> no. But I don't, I'm only yeah. just getting back into Twitter. You've got to understand, it's like my least, I'm just not very good at tweeting. Yeah. Oh, oh look at that profile picture. Yeah. <gasps> She's got 61,000 followers. Good for Brenda Blevin. I hope, yeah. I hope we can tag her in like a post yeah. about this. Oh. I hope she listens oh to this. Oh my God, yes. I would love that. Imagine. Brenda, Brenda if you're listening to this, we love you. <laughs> please, please. We hope so. Brenda, you're a treasure. I even watched Saving Grace and I thought you were great in that. That's a weird yeah. film where she's like a weed baron, but you know, yeah. it's it, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Brenda Blevin, please just keep yeah. being yourself. I hope, yeah. I hope you're happy. Yeah. Genuinely. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have two questions which I think we, we, we answered. So whether Timothy Spall and Marianne Jean-Baptiste lead or supporting, I think they're both lead. And I think you agree with me on that. Yes. I mean, like, do you mean like, do I think they're lead in the film or do I think they should have been put in lead or supporting in like an awards race? Do you race? think like their, their performances are leading or supporting? Because I think they're, I think that, yeah. I think that Maurice, Cynthia and Hortense are leads and the rest are supporting. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, but I feel like we break down those kind of we break them down into those categories because of awards more. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. um, whereas sometimes you know, like Romeo and Juliet, like whoever plays Romeo and whoever plays Juliet, they're going to be the leads, and everyone else is going to be supporting. Whereas, you know, it's not as clean cut here. It's yeah, a little I'd, bit of an ensemble piece. Yeah, and I think that that's the thing. Like, especially the way this film was made, 
it's and we'll get on to this but like where do you award this film to actually honor the film because i don't think it should well we'll get on to it but yeah yeah um i'd say yeah i agree with you and then i because i think there's a, a bevy of really good supporting performances in this like especially oh, yeah. phyllis logan especially claire rushbrook fantastic like genuinely so good yeah. that you can award like lead and supporting and it doesn't feel like an imbalance yeah 100 percent. okay yeah. andrew carden asks slightly off topic but does francis win for almost famous if she doesn't win for fargo um so she would have had to be kate hudson and marcia gay harden I don't know like I think you're never going to be the better performance in the same film you're nominated for although I think ironically like I think uh, with I think she just would have waited till three billboards honestly I, I don't I don't, I don't think I don't think she would have got three billboards if she hadn't have won for Fargo interesting huh I think that's so much a part of her legacy that she, not only was she amazing in that but she was decorated for it that she won against the odds like I think that's a big part of the Frances McDormand myth-making machine. And I love her. I love her. But, you know. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think she should have won. I don't think she would have won for Almost Famous. Well, i tell you an interesting um, theory. I think it was on um, This Had Oscar Buzz, where they were like, she probably wins for North Country if she hasn't got an Oscar before then, because she's, like, playing a character who has a disability, who like, degenerative. I think she has ALS in that film. Um like Lou Gehrig's disease where, you know, slowly she, she becomes more and more sort of infirmed and like her, her, she loses the ability of her neurological functions. Um, and I have seen that film. She's, she's good in it, but it's kind of one of those obligatory nominations that you're like, yeah, I expect that. And mm. I'm not mad that Rachel Weisz won. Um, For her lead performance. <laughs> absolutely. I don't disagree, but I, you know, Rachel Weiss has an Oscar and she would get an Oscar. That's the thing. Would Rachel Weiss have been in the favourite if she hadn't have won for Constant Garden? Who knows? Like, Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. I'd cast dispersions on it, but um, the question was so. McDormand. Would she have almost won famous. for Almost Famous? I, no. Mm-mm. I just think that was Kate Hudson's Oscar to lose. And in that case, she yeah. did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Although Julie Walters should have won. Um, Maybe. Sorry. To... Yeah. No, yeah, she 100%. Like, I think Julie Walters is the best living actress, period. Oh, wow. Okay. That's my hot take. I'm, and I always. I'm a shocker here. I'm Marion Cotillard. <gasps> oh, such oh. a shocker. Yeah. Right. Anyways. Have you seen, I think I mentioned this, this is a tangent. Have you seen her advert for like a perfume? I can't remember oh, yeah. what perfume. Oh, yeah. Okay, I, I wonder if it was just like a European thing because I love that advert so much. Oh my much. god, yeah. Wish it was on the moon. moon. It was on the, uh, what was it? It was on the back of a, so someone at my school had a, what do you call it, a playbill from a Broadway Yeah, yeah. Version, and that ad was on the back, the Chanel. And she, Iconic. So a Chanel, that's it, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, I love her. Anyways, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I can't start talking about her because I won't. We can't, we can't. <laughs> she wasn't acting in 96. That I know of. No, no, I don't think so. And then Maybe. Zita, Zita, I hate you for this question because it's going to make me sad. How Zita, much... who was on your last episode, right? Yes, Zita, who was yeah. on, as of recording, yes, and our Emigrants episode. She is a, she's a friend and, and, and friend of the podcast. We love her. Yeah. And, and she 
asks how much abuse would Brenda Bluffin get from film bros had she had beaten Francis McDormand. And I don't want to think about that. So maybe I am slightly glad that that she didn't win because of yeah. that, that whole factor. But we can yeah. get into that when we get into the best actress, the best actress. That's the thing. I don't feel like I, and I under, I totally understand what Zeta means. Like, yeah, I, I oh really my. do see that world. But at the but same like, time, if, like, if what if Cabaret beat The Godfather? It's like that. We talked about that in our Americans episode. Like, do you know how much uh, abuse Cabaret would get? Like, but that's the thing. Like, would the win and the legacy it gets afterwards have shaped film culture so much that film bros would have just gravitated? You know, like, I feel like film bros now, their main central crux is um american psycho i feel like that's become and the, the film bro thing the dark Knight's always been like a film bro yeah. thing though hasn't it but american, like recently they've right. really latched yeah. on to american psycho um <laughs> yeah. and i always think about how the christian bale interview with is it charlie what was he called charlie not charlie plummer charlie know. rose where he goes what's your favorite part about patrick bateman he's like nothing no, i i don't like anything about him and you're like yeah he's a terrible character and we shouldn't be supporting him anyway that's a tangent but yeah i don't know if film bros would go to bat for the loss of say like do film bros talk about how rosamund pike should have won i feel like no, they're just like film bro though i don't think so that's it's you know, fog, it is. yeah i think so uh, okay yeah and I think I think the thing with with Rosamund Pike is that that's also like a lot of gay people love that because that's like her. I am fucking game. I drank cold beer and watched Adam Sandler movies. So it's kind of I don't know if that's a film role performance. Um, okay, but yeah. So <laughs> I just don't, I think I just don't engage with film bros that much. Oh, I like, try not when to. I tell people I like films, they're like, "You're not one of them," and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah no. you're safe with me. It's fine." And I just don't really engage. Oh my with God. that side whereas if it comes to gay twitter i'm like yeah rosamund pike woohoo you know like yeah but even though man yeah. should have won that year but anyway i did that's the thing that's the weird thing side tangent that's the first year i got super into the oscars and i saw two days one night really early on i was like i love 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 this film so much and she is so good in it um i don't and i i hadn't seen gone girl at the time because i wasn't old enough to see it like I was 16 and I don't think I could see it in the cinema because I wasn't like, I don't know, it was like rated higher than I, you know, like yeah. my parents went to see it, but I couldn't see it. Um, so it's one of those films that I didn't see at the time, whereas two days, one night I did and I loved it. And then I think Julianne Moore ended up winning and I, I didn't see that until a while after. So I was on the Marion Cotillard train as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. You were. Okay, I've derailed. I've derailed this to go on the Marion Cotillard yeah. train. Yes. But do you want to get into the categories themselves? Absolutely, please. Let's do it. Okay, this first category is interesting. Screenplay, original screenplay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nominated alongside Shine, Lone Star, Jerry Maguire, and the winner was Fargo. So would you give the win to Secrets and Lies? So as, as I kind of alluded to earlier, no, because I don't think it's in the screen. It's not in the writing. Because there is that this film. Huh? There's no writing. Well, that's the thing. Like, it's all about the, it's almost like the, the, the secret and the lie. No, the secret to this film is in the rehearsal, which isn't a category like best rehearsal period. Um, it, it was headed by the director. So maybe you could say it there and it's embodied by the performers. So you could say it there. But the script isn't what makes this film great. It's about the interpretation of the base 
characters which are maybe in the script but the script isn't really being used necessarily um and they're quite honest about that like mike lee and the cast are like yeah we improvised and he let us improvise so no i'd give it to you said um well okay so it's lone star i would agree Um, lone star fargo secrets and lies jerry Jerry Maguire. shine i'd give it to jerry Maguire, and that's not like a film i love but like that's iconic you wouldn't give it to fargo I do love Fargo, to be fair. Maybe I'm taking that for, like, taking well, I, I give it to Fargo because knowing the, the way that they made Secrets and Lies, I don't even think it should have been nominated in this category just mm. because it's not a script. So I don't know how it's eligible. Um, but It's just sort of awarding yeah. Mike Lee for putting this together, isn't it? But like, Yeah, but I, I think that's more in the other categories. But with Fargo, yeah. I, I, I would mean, I... definitely give it there. Like, this is an easy one for me. I'm surprised you give it to Jerry Maguire. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, here's the big secret. I mean, this isn't the big secret, but um, I prefer Fargo to Secrets and Lies as a film. Sorry. But um, it's like one of my top 20 films, like Fargo. Oh, okay. it's, it's unimpeachable to me. And genuinely, I might give it to um, Jerry wow. Maguire because it ha- like you had me at hello show me the money i know these are just lines but that is an art like that that's one of the most iconic screenplays of the last 25 or more yeah. than 25 years so, so i love fargo. fargo so is fargo i think fargo's more than just the words like whereas i think yeah. jerry Maguire works in the words and the the people who voice that in the film but um yeah i think that I I would give it to Jerry. I'm a believer in spreading the wealth, and I'd give it to Sherry McGuire there, and not in say best supporting actor, where I'd maybe give it to Bill H Macy. Okay. Interesting. Did not expect the Jerry Maguire pick, but I understand him. I think my, yeah. my parents would agree with you there. They love no, no, they like Fargo a lot. So I don't Fargo know. Fargo is incredible. Like Fargo is, as I no, say, yeah. one of my yeah. fave films. But like in terms of screenplay, I just think that's that is one of the most iconic screenplays. Yeah. And, you know, RIP Cameron Craig, because, like, he doesn't make good films anymore. But <laughs> um, he doesn't make films anymore, to, period. But, uh, okay, next category, please. I'm interested to see what you go with next. I'm guessing it's supporting actress. Yeah, supporting actress alongside Marion Jean-Baptiste. You mm-hmm. have Joan Allen for The Crucible, Lauren Bacall uh, for The Mirror Has Two Faces, Barbara mm-hmm. Hershey for The Portrait of a Lady, and your winner is Juliette Binoche. For the English patient. I'm just going to get this out of the way. Let's let's not take into consideration lead for her. Because she obviously does not belong in this category. This is clear-cut category fraud. There is no reason why she was nominated in this category outside of racism. Um, mm-hmm. So ignoring that, would you give her the win? Of, of the five, the one I... This is tough because I think she is genuinely the best of those five, like by quite a long shot. Yeah. But, but I kind of wish we lived in the universe where Lauren Bacall had won her Oscar. But for this? Because I, 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 that's the thing. Like I watched that film as part of um, it being a nominated, you know, film in, in this weird maze we traverse as people who want to watch every, you know, nominated performance. And I watched it and I was like, I love Lauren Bacall. Like, I do love her. And that performance, yeah, the film isn't great. The performance isn't... Yeah. She's not in it much. She's really not in it much. No, but she's giving it so much. And I think the narrative worked against her, where it was like, she's been working for 50 years, and it's time she gets her Oscar. Like, um, 
I've, I think she's fantastic in that. I think Juliette Binoche is fantastic as well. And so um, Jean-Marie Baptiste, have I said her name right? I feel like- Marianne Jean-Baptiste. Marianne Jean-Baptiste deserves to win. And I think she's yeah. fantastic. And I think the sad part is her career since hasn't reflected that she was a nominated actress. Like well, she yeah. hasn't gotten the opportunities she has. Um, but yeah, I yeah, so maybe, but I'd probably give it to Lauren. That's the thing. Just, just to give her a win. But your favorite of these performances is Marianne. On merit, Marianne. On like Oscar, you know, like that's the okay. thing. Like Wait, I differentiate. You know I'm just gonna determine your win by merit because this should be a, this should be w- which one you think actually deserves the award. Yeah, you you you're more like holistic. You're more pure, yeah. and you're like who you think should win should win. And I'm like, well, there's my winner, and then there's the one that should have won, and then there's the one that did win. You know what I mean? And I kind of okay. separate them. I think for me, it's my winner and who did win. There's no real. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think it's just because I'm cynical. So I'm like, whoever, I, let's say this year with worst person in the world, like um, I, I can't ever remember her name unless it's written Renata in front of me. Brainsworth. She is my like best performance of the entire year, regardless of category. She should win best actress in a cakewalk. But I, is she going to win it? No, probably not. Is she going to be nominated? Maybe not. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Well, we're recording this. You'll hear this episode after the Oscar nomination, so that might age well or not, but, but who knows. Hey. Um, but I, I definitely give it to Marianne Jean-Baptiste. Oh, yeah. I would put her in the leading category, though. If pure supporting, if we're going to say who, who should have won supporting actress, Barbara Hershey. She is delectable in that movie. That movie was okay. I really wanted to love it. I want to get more into Campion. But she is so good and she makes that movie. She is so fucking good in that movie. It's like, it's delicious. It's iconic. It's ferocious. It's everything that a supporting performance should be, except for the fact that nothing around her is nearly as good as her. She just eats it up. She ate in that movie. It's so good. (laughs) Like, I I love her in that movie. Um, And then in terms of the other nominees, Joan Allen and Juliette Binoche, I do not care. Like, don't care. And then Lauren Bacall is fun and cute and all that, but not really an Oscar caliber. Yeah, so, I guess, like, so the, say I'm, if... I'm between Jean-Baptiste and Hershey, and if you sing supporting actress, Hershey, but of this category, Jean-Baptiste. Yeah, like, if, say, Lauren Bacall had one, it would be like a Jeff Bridges win, where it's like, well, they were going to get an Oscar one day. I guess we're just going to give it to them for that. Yeah, no, and Barbara Hershey... Yeah, she does. She is great. Yeah. And like, she's one of those actresses that has been working for so long. You're like, when do you age? What what was happening here? Because you just have looked incredible. I mean, yeah. obviously. It's, different like, it's like Maggie standards. Smith, except Maggie Smith has always looked old. Like, always. Yeah, you watch old, like you watch The Prime of Mystery and Brody. And you're like, ah, oh, yes, I can really see that as like my understanding of Maggie Smith <laughs> yeah. as like the dowager, whatever she's called in uh, Downton. Yeah. Um, but yes, okay, yes, yeah. Um, I mean, Marie Jean Baptiste, like she, that's the thing. If she's in lead with Brenda Blevin, they'd split the vote. And if she was in lead with Brenda Blevin, who would be in supporting? Would it be Claire Rushbrook? Would it be Phyllis, yeah. Phyllis Logan? I think I'd say Phyllis Logan would make my yeah. five along with Marie Jean Baptiste. I'd put them both in, and honestly, I'd put Leslie Mandel and I'd have three of them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Leslie Manville, I have you seen Another Year? The other mic? No, but I've been dying to. Oh my goodness, that's a film where, like, it was nominated for a screenplay yeah. Oscar, so you can watch and it for Jim that. Broadbent, and right? 
Jim Broadbent. Yeah, there aren't too many like super famous people in it, but she, Leslie Manville, you watch and you're like, how did she not win yeah. Best Supporting Actress? Because she's so clearly supporting. Like that's one where she very much is supporting. But I think that's one of the best supporting performances I've ever seen in my entire life. And you're like, how did this not? And like Melissa Leo wins that year, and you're like, how did Melissa yeah. Leo win? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we won't get caught up in that. Yeah, you, we're we're saving actress for last, by the way. Okay, yeah. okay. Get ready. Are we going to direct to next then? Director alongside Mike Lee, you have Joel Cohen for Fargo, Milos mm-hmm. Forman for The People versus Larry Flint. Flint, Scott Hicks for Shine, and the winner was Anthony Miela for The English Patient. So are you giving it to Mike Lee? Mm, I don't know. I do want to honor Mike Lee at some point in Oscar history, and when, if not then, you know, I'd make because it's like if you give it, he's got five screenplay nominations, and his whole method is to let the actors improvise. So you kind of got to give it to him for directing, say, if you're looking at history from that lens. And I'd maybe, I'd give it to him in hindsight, knowing that the Coens go on to win for No Country for Old Men, which I, mm, would I give it to them for that against or PTA? PTA? Maybe or not. Or Julian Schnabel. I've never, I've never seen that film. <gasps> That's the one film in all of history I've That's never seen. That's the one seen. film that you've seen that I have, that you haven't seen that I have. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> I own a copy of it and it just like I just sits on my shelf and I'm just wow. like one day one day I'll get around to diving bell and the butterfly but yeah but you give yeah. it to Will Cohen yeah yeah uh I don't I give it to Mike Lee in a cakewalk easily he is so far ahead of everyone in this category and well I- I'm glad that you give it to him and I give it to the Coens yeah but neither of us give it to Mingala who I like because I love talented Mr Ripley a lot yeah. but I have no affection for the english patient no whatsoever and why was the people versus larry front nominated outside of the fact that foreman was because <laughs> it's milos foreman like that's there was always i think this happens with directing lineups i think now but especially in the 90s where you had your four and or maybe three one. and then you have your like fifth variable like altman got two in a row just by being like the fifth <laughs> choice um you had like the the 95 year where like um Ang Lee doesn't get in, but um Tim Robbins does, you know, like yeah. it's a yeah, the director's branch weird. can be yeah. But also we'll see Scott, this year. Yeah. I think yeah, I think that Jerry Maguire not getting included here makes sense, but Shine does not make sense getting nominated. No. I'm sorry, I do not like that film. That is not a good movie. I don't know do why. You not, oh. Jeffrey Rush is in that movie for like five minutes and he's and like he's in it for like the third act only and he's still one lead actor like it's where you character but like no and yeah uh, it's just not a great film I I suppose it, it was natural that's Oscar bait that's like made to win awards yes but I I do really like it in parts and it has like it has Lynn Redgrave and John Gilgood like <laughs> They're both just amazing. So, and I think um, Noah Taylor's really good in it as the younger version oh, yeah. of Jeffrey Rush. Um, yeah, I just, I yeah. Mm. I get it. I, I get it. Like, I can't really defend it. I get it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what even has Scott Hicks gone on to do? I don't know. Who knows? Okay, here, filmography. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> i genuinely have no idea like yeah. there's a lot of directors in history like the director of 
um fatal attraction i forget as oh, adrian yeah. line yeah like he didn't really do much apart from films like fatal attraction or like say um tom noonan who did babe he went on to do one oh, yeah. film 11 years later or the director of full monty i like what could you name him i couldn't yeah i couldn't nominated for best director the year after it so. was his name was peter Cataneo. I think he's done some TV since. I tell you what, I do have a question for you. I have a quiz. Oh, oh no. Yeah, you ready? I hate quizzes, but sure. <laughs> okay, this is a short quiz question and for anyone listening. So I know we're kind of halfway through, but it's just popped into my mind. So this film was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Lead Actress, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Screenplay. Five nominations. Do you know the two films in Oscar history that also have that track record without winning any and got supporting actress and actress so all those are identical nominations to secrets and lies without winning any of them like secrets and lies okay well it isn't the little foxes because that got other things yeah that was that was like, like that is one of the first ones that came to my mind because oh they have best actress and supporting actress <gasps> is it ladybird mm. yeah ladybird is one of them so the episode okay. that you have covered... there's another one okay supporting there's actors. another one don't it's, have i seen this film don't mm, i don't i if i had to guess i'd say no it's old it's like older than mm, it's i'll give you a, a a decade 1960s then i probably have i feel like you probably haven't an original screenplay and director no sorry it wasn't um i didn't take into original adapting it was just like a screenplay nomination plus two actings in the nothing huh do you know no it's quite obscure it's It's the sundowners it's the sundowners okay no deborah carr right deborah carr um the lovely high glennis johns okay direct the picture and screenplay those are the only two i could find in oscar yeah. history that had the same track record but i found it funny that ladybird was which well, yeah. covered. yes yeah i w- i was thinking rachel rachel but then joanne woodward boycott <laughs> yeah so paul newman never gets the nomination yeah yeah, yeah sorry yeah. I, that was a let's, let's go to best picture which is very similar um mm-hmm. Alongside Secrets and Lies, you have Fargo, Jerry Maguire, Shine, and the winner was, of course, The English Patient. And I know you give it to Fargo, but thoughts? <laughs> well, no, that's the thing. When thinking about it, I was like, okay, hypothetically, if I gave director to um, Cohen, I'd give picture to Secrets and Lies. Because I think as a film, this works so perfectly. Whereas Fargo, also, I love so much. And it does work as a film, like it's iconic. but where do you award this film? And I think in picture, as a as an end result, you can honour the entire cast, every performance that was never going to get nominated. You can, you know, award Mike Lee for what he did here, which it is Mike Lee who has a massive hand in this. Um, not necessarily in the writing, but just in bringing it all together. So I'd give it, to, I, I think I'd give it best picture. I genuinely That's do. such a different way of thinking about these things for me, because I'm just like, oh, which one is my favourite? Oh yeah, that should have won. That's that's how that's it's yeah. very simple for me, but you have a lot of other factors. But yes, Secrets and Lies wins for me. Cakewalk, it is my first. Second is Fargo for me. Also adore it. Amazing. Third, the, third, I would say Jerry is... Maguire. 
fourth shine and then last the english patient yeah i don't hold any candles for the english patient but say as zita mentioned earlier with the um the film bros what would happen if this had won best i mean english patients pretty maligned but like what if this won over fargo and then people i don't go, think so oh, i don't think it know. would have been no? i think it's different with best picture <laughs> I don't know if like a very British film like this and quite very British I don't mean that in a proud sense I mean just like a very like it's very like I don't know I find this sort of film fascinating to talk about because it I'm like how does this ever translate beyond very Englishness and I I, I, you're right like it's a universal story but it's it's very like sort of unglamorous I think that's the right word so it's not very Hollywood it's not very marketable yet it's really compelling and it's like how many films have actually won Best Picture that show this side of England or Britain? Like, you've got your, uh, I was going to say Mary Poppins, but that didn't win Best Picture. But, you know, like... That's that also has a lot idea. of grand Hollywood filmmaking to it. So it yeah. is... Yeah. Like, yeah. The King's Speech, I guess that was the last British, British film. But even then, that isn't British in the way Secrets and Lies is. No, because it's about kings and queens. And it's, it's not about actual people. movie. It's not... Yeah. 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 Yeah, but I'd get, I, I'm glad we're in agreement there, even if it's for different reasons. Yeah, no, no, but hey, that's how that's how it works. Anyway, okay, okay right. I'm I'll so ask scared you. to ask you this. I'm like, I, I this is terrifying. Uh, alongside Brenda Vlethen, you have Emily Watson nominated for Breaking the Waves, Kristen Scott Thomas for The English Patient, Diane Keaton for Marvin's Room, and your winner was Frances McDormand for Fargo. <laughs> Would you give Brenda Vlethen the win? I think that, that here's the thing. If you think of it in the context of, hey, Frances McDormand goes on to win another two, I'd 100% give her Brenda Blevin the win. But does Frances McDormand go on to win two if she doesn't win for this? I don't think so. But in the context of the race, who is the better performer? I would say Brenda Blevin. But Frances McDormand is incredible oh in my that God, film. Yes, like, I'm not, I'm not uh, going to take away from that. Yes, no. Um, I am going to explain. I love <laughs> Frances McDormand in Fargo. I think it's her best performance. I think she's funny. I think she does a really good job at showcasing, like, she's the only kind of good person in this whole society that the movie creates. And it's mm-hmm. like, she's a very fun character, very memorable. Yeah. Um, but Brenda Blethen in Secrets and Lies is almost unreal in that it's so good as a performance and it excels so much because of her and how she's able to communicate these character the way this character feels and how it emotes and how how distinct it is and how mm-hmm. the delivery and the timing and all of it is so well done and she really carries so many scenes and she so perfectly fits the story and she's so riveting in her in her heartbreak and her demonstrations of this character that it is so yeah. beyond me that a 25 minute performance in a kind of comedy wins a wins over what this what, what this is it is so unfair that this was the only chance really like she didn't stand a chance for little boys really no so it, no. It, 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 you have such a big opportunity and i really want to know how close it was because i'm sure Frances yeah Frances was a lot fargo was such a big deal she won the sag award um, but Brenda won that Golden Globe in a drama and she had won the BAFTA. Mm-hmm. So it was like really close. And the fact that Brenda, they sat her in the left side in the one of the back rows in the front where they sat Francis right in the front of the of the auditorium is like, fuck you. Because yeah. 
Brenda should have won. Her performance is an all-timer that no one recognizes to the level of Francis. Yet when you watch this performance, you go, shit. That is what Best Actress should be rewarding. This is how yeah. it should go down. Um, and I don't think Francis is supporting in Fargo. I do think she's the lead. No, I made this, I made this stuffy before because Bill Macy is the lead as much as Dorman is. Yeah, MR. yeah. yeah. Um, but, but Brenda you know, I, really just, she breaks your heart. She puts it back together. She's comforting. She's ribbing. She's everything for me. Um, this is like maybe one of the five performances that I go, this is the biggest robbery of all time. And it's even yeah. worse when the performance that won is still worthy because it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh no, like, okay, because there, I do, no, I don't really get giving Francis the win over her. But in a way, it's like, okay, she's still really good. Um, yeah, it's understandable. It is understandable. You do have factors like a Grace Kelly win, whereas mm -hmm. there is a clear distinction between the performances, at least for me. Um, but yeah, Brenda really should have won this. Yeah. Like, in, a, in his landslide. And you got, it's another year where you're like, I wish I could see the totals because like how, oh God, yeah. you, you've got to wonder, like, say if they were three or four or five off a draw and that might be the most cathartic tie. It's a tie in, you know, like in I lost, no, history. But the, wait, Catherine Barber tie is pretty iconic in itself. Oh, because it's, that's the thing. That's a year where you look at it and you're like, I don't think one of them should have won over the other. Like, I love that they both share the, the 68 oh, win. I and do. like, but you I wish think... <laughs> you almost wish they'd have less academy members just so that they there's more likely a chance of a tie because of course the more academy members they have the less likely a tie is going to be but all you want sometimes is like please like two people deserve this and yeah i think they both deserve it this year this is the irony like say if you say if you put them in different years like 95 and 97 they they cakewalk in either of those years because i don't think yeah. that sarandon is like a I think she deserves an Oscar, but I don't think she should have won it for that. And I would put either of them before her. And then Helen Hunt, I'm like, I like Helen Hunt. She's great in that. But like, either of them could walk straight to a win. Yeah. So it's all about the year. It's like the 93 year where, yeah, Angela you know, Bassett, um, if she, Angela Bassett, if she yeah. was nominated the year after, then she would have won. So <laughs> then Jessica Lang wouldn't have that Oscar for Blue Sky. Good, and like, I good. recently saw um, people on Twitter being like, uh, doing their like, here are my winners and they still put jessica lang at like a winner for 94 because you're like it's a really dry year compared to the incredibly competitive year of 96 where i know we had some things on twitter where people said emily watson i'm like emily watson's so good in that film like she could easily yeah. win in say 94 yeah. like she's great and like kirsten kristen scott thomas kirsten scott thomas scott thomas she's fine like i'm glad she's got an oscar because she should have been nominated for four weddings and a few yes, where she's one. so good she should have won. Oh my god amazing it would have been yeah. against um oh diane weiss, uh, diane weiss who's walmart. so good in that no way. no it's a norma desmond walmart <laughs> <laughs> so it's good though it's okay it's but, good but, but okay um, i'm gonna give you a rundown of this category so you know my thoughts on francis and brenda yeah Emily Watson, here's the thing. She's amazing in that film. However, <laughs> Lars von Trier's filmmaking style is distracting and can detract from her performance. The shaky camera work, just the structure mm -hmm. of it, occasionally takes away from her acting, which 
Okay. Is a little sad because like she if, if it wasn't like that, then maybe she'd be around maybe maybe she'd be over Francis for me. But I have her at third. She's really good. I think she's amazing. Um she is great. That I, that film I, is giving her a lot. No, as yeah. Well. Like yeah. again, like it's moving so much around her that it can occasionally take away. But she's Yeah, still- I get I get what you mean. I get yeah. and I hate let it be stated on the record that I hate Lars von Trier. So <laughs> um and I, I I like her in that film, but I, I really despise yeah. him as a as an artist and then i i actually really like diane keaton in mervyn's room um it's kind of a little bit of a uh melodrama you know what yeah. you're but she's really good and so is meryl I, I i like them in it a lot I, I thought she did what she needed to do she's she's fun um and and she she's convincing it's it's i have her fourth but she's still i still really like her in it and then kristen says yeah. oh, not bad just kind of not i don't really think of it at all no well i mean a lot of that film is framed around ralph finds being in the hospital as a burns victim and then in the past he's with her but she spoiler alert dies kind of into that his backstory and then the recent stuff is juliette binoche painting with that uh indian soldier and i love i I like that that's the part i remember fondly of that film but Yeah. yeah the interesting part about marvin's room is like um that film very forgettable but like meryl and diane sort of swapped turns showing up at different awards ceremonies and then it came down that diane got that and i'm glad because yeah. meryl doesn't need a 22nd you know not that <laughs> it was her 22nd at the time but like i love that diane for a while was like nominated in every decade until the 2010s where she didn't but you know yeah. um yeah she's really good in that and uh, also um uh verdon when verdon she should have been nominated for that she's so good in it she's so yeah. like yeah, Sad. I'm, yeah, I just love her in it. Yeah, that's actually I like that nomination. Yeah, I, yeah. So you can't begrudge her, you know. Like, oh no, and I think I think she's better than Meryl actually in it. So Meryl's just yeah, yeah. Like that's yeah, the thing. And also, that, Meryl that, does not need his twenty seconds. Exactly <laughs> that, and like that five. Therefore, you've got three genuinely incredible ones, and two where you're like. They deserved it. It's not one of those no, ones I where you look at it and you're like, Thomas deserved it, but I'm not mad at the nomination. But who would have been there instead? Say, and Jean Baptiste. Okay, that yeah. Okay, okay. And if had Marianne Jean Baptiste had been nominated, she would be my runner-up to Brenda Blossom. Yeah, you're not wrong. And if <laughs> but if Kirsten's Kristen Scott Thomas has got a win or a nomination for Four Weddings, yes. I'll caveat it with that, and I agree with yes, you. There, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Okay, but I would give it everything but screenplay. I would give Secrets and Lies every every win except for screenplay because it doesn't really have one. Um, okay, so and I, and I like the Far- I like the Fargo win. I think that's yeah, that's, that's a good win. It makes sense. okay knowing what they give original screenplay to that very much fits their what what they like to award in that category. Yeah, because you almost wish one of them was adapted just so you could kick Sling Blade out, which is the just treacliest well I, I really don't like that film at all um kick take Timothy really Spall and kick Billy Bob off the the lead lineup kick Billy Bob the hell off the um writing you know original screenplay like you're gonna be shocked but out of the lineup for lead actor I give Billy Bob Thornton the win oh I thought you said oh okay of the lineup yeah but you give Timothy Spall a nomination yeah, and maybe, maybe a win. because my mom showed me that movie like a long time ago and like oh it, so it's kind of like that but maybe if I rewatch it it wouldn't it wouldn't it would be different I don't yeah, know. I never had that with that film I saw it and I was I was just always yeah. like fuck this I just <laughs> didn't like it yeah, but hey 
But yeah, no, you'd give it the win in picture, actress, and supporting actress, technically, kind of? Yeah, I think maybe I'd give... It's difficult. I believe, yes. Actress, supporting actress, yes. But say if we're going Fargo, which is a film I genuinely love, I'd maybe honour that in one of the top two. And it's, do I give director to Mike Lee and picture to Fargo, or picture to Secrets and Lies and direction to Cohen? I think the latter. I think I'd go... Best picture, Secrets and Lies, best direction, Cohen's. Hmm. I think, or I'd give Mike Lee director and picture, and then I'd give screenplay to Cohen's. Uh-huh. I I spread it out like that because I love these films and they have to yeah. they have to share the wealth in my mind. Yeah, I mean, and also I I do I'm usually just very one film sweeps, but I do. There are years where I, I, I tend to spread the wealth, but it all really is which one do I like the best. I, I try not to put in any other factors when I'm deciding this and my rankings for the categories. Yeah. Because if I did, then I, it would be even more confusing because I, I struggle. You're better about that. Yeah, I should maybe be a bit more idealistic, but I, you know, I'm I'm a cynic, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but any, any other comments or do you want to wrap it up? Um, I think. Oh, the only thing that we never mentioned, which is kind of a mute point now, is the score really worked for me on the third time. Same. I was like, oh, the music's really good. Like, yeah. I never really noticed that before. Yeah. Um, that was the only thing. I was like, oh, it, it can seem quite incongruous at the first time where you're like, it's very sort of orchestral. It's quite like violin heavy. Um, mm. And then the third time you watch it, you're like, this is perfect. I couldn't picture it any other way. Yeah. So. I, I don't really pay attention to scores in films, so that's probably why I didn't mention it. Only if it's like, whoa, like the best ever. But yeah, it's good here. Yes, I, I liked it. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's everything. Yeah, so thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find you? I think the main place would be Letterboxd, Steel 98 or Will Steel or whatever I come up as. Um, I also use Twitter now, but I, I, I think I'm just called Almost Original, which is very unoriginal. But um, yeah, those mainly letterboxed. Yeah, I am on Twitter at Sam the Parasite, letterboxed Sam Meltzer. Please review and rate this podcast on whatever podcast service you use. Thank you all for listening. See you next time.